Welcome to another inspiring message recorded at Rivers Church. You know, whenever I preach a message, I'm sure there are people who probably are sitting at the beginning and hear the title and probably say, oh, this is not for me. And that can happen at any given time because we all have different needs. Some messages touch everybody. But I want to remind you, what you need to do when you hear any message is to ask yourself this question, when can I use this? Where can I use this? But the third thing is, who needs to hear this? If it's the person next to you, refrain from bumping them. Just pray a silent prayer. Oh God, speak to them. Because today's message is a little bit like that. I was reading about a father who wanted to illustrate to his son the difference between annoyance, anger, and exasperation. Annoyance, anger, exasperation. So he looked up the number of a person he worked with in the phone book. He didn't, wasn't friends with the person. They were very annoying, very arrogant, very short-tempered. And he pretended to be someone else and he phoned the person up. And as the man answered the phone, he said, hello, is Adolf there? The man responded, there's no Adolf here. Why don't you get the number right before bothering people this hour of the night? And the man put the phone down. He looked at his son and he said, my boy, that's annoyance. Then he waited 15 minutes and he phoned again. And he said, is Adolf there? This time the man, you could see he was fuming. He said, what's the matter with you? Are you crazy? I told you to look up the number and stop bothering me and you can hear the phone slammed. And he said, my boy, that's anger. But my boy, we are going to see exasperation in a moment. So he waited another 15 minutes. Then he phoned and he said, hello, is Adolf there? Have there been any messages for me in the last half an hour? Most people didn't get it. And he said to his son, that's exasperation. How many of you realize that most of us in South Africa are either annoyed, angry, or exasperated? We live in a very, very angry culture. And you know what? It's dangerous to be angry because you do dangerous things. It affects your health and it harms the people who God is calling you to reach. So it's extremely important that we learn how to manage this. I mean, every day there are people who cut us off. Not only do they cut us off, then there are those who drive as though they've got nowhere to go. That's how slow they're driving. Then there's poor service. Then there's another power outage. Then there are people who don't keep their word. Then there are Christians who should, be, who should know better, who don't honor God and keep their promises and who treat us badly. I want to speak to you this morning on the important subject of dealing with anger. Dealing with anger. Because we all in this room know angry people or might even be an angry person. Don't nudge your neighbor. Don't look at your husband or wife. Just look straight forward and say, God, would you speak by your Holy Spirit to them in Jesus' name? <laughs> I mean, you know, it's true that anger is a dreadful thing. Dr. Ha David Haviland, Dr. David Haviland, a psychotherapist, wrote a book called Angry Like Me. Interesting title. And the reason he wrote this book, Angry Like Me, is because he realized he as a professional was an angry person. And he said, anger says way more about me than the people around me. Isn't that interesting? And it reveals how small we are, how weak we are, and how we lack self-control. 
Ecclesiastes tells us this in chapter 7 and verse 9. Do not be quickly provoked in your spirit, for anger resides in the lap of fools. Dr. David Haviland says he realized that at times he becomes a fool, even though he's a professional. He's a psychotherapist. He said in dealing with people, doctors, lawyers, attorneys, professional people, pastors, leaders, all people in all spheres, no matter how educated you are, you still are susceptible to blowing your top. And it doesn't say much about the culture. It says a lot about us. The more we release and vent our anger, the more we are in danger of alienating our spouses, our children, and damaging the people God has called us to reach. Maggie Skog, a New York Times magazine reporter, said this. She said, getting angry can sometimes be like leaping into a wonderfully responsive sports car, gunning the motor, taking off at high speed, and then discovering the brakes are out of order. How many of us have flown off the handle only to crash our relationships and to live with regret? It can cause you to have tension in your home, tension towards other races, and just have a bad outlook on life in general. Have you met people that are irritable all the time? They're always annoyed. They're so important. It's not a good space to be. In fact, the third finalist on American Idol, a young man called Danny Goki, he's also a worship leader, he said, if your heart is full of bitterness, anger, and resentment, you're going to look at this world as a very evil place. Your whole outlook will be negative. And we've got to be very careful because I was reading some statistics here, and I want to paint a picture this morning because we need to, we need to take hold of our lives. We can let them run loose like a car without brakes. We've got to take hold of our lives, especially parents. I read that 80% of all murders are committed by people who have some relationship with the victim. Now, that might not sound important, but you know what happens? You are in a home with people you know. It's friends. You get angry with them. There's a gun handy. There's an there's, there's a object handy. There's a knife handy. So you let your anger explode, and you kill someone you know. Someone who's a friend of yours. Someone who's a family member. Lots of family murders. They, they, they say here, according to hospital records, innumerable, innumerable parents have inflicted serious injuries on their small children in fits of rage. One source estimates in America that 60,000 children a year are beaten to death. Wait, that more children under five years of age are likely to be killed by their parents than die of disease. And don't even mention husbands and wives. It used to be wife battery. Now the chicks are catching up. It's husband battery. <laughs> but uncontrolled anger is a huge problem in the world in South Africa. Road rage, people shooting, stabbing, beating each other with baseball bats, going crazy in the middle of the street, doing stupid things. There was a Reader's Digest article that gave numerous examples of parents who, while watching their children's sports activities, erupted into anger. The one father beat another father to death after a youth hockey practice. Another one took his hockey stick and beat the coach on the head several times because he took his daughter off the team for missing a practice session. One in seven parents have said that they've witnessed an actual physical altercation involving a parent at a sports match, and that's just at a game. Imagine what we're like when it's serious business. Chick, Chip Ingram, Chip Ingram and Dr. Becca Johnson wrote a book called Overcoming Emotions That Destroy, and they said this, if you let anger get the best of you, it will reveal the worst of you. People who don't deal with their anger will have their anger deal with them. 
And so we need to pay attention because angry people are in church. Some of you are very angry. Just look straight ahead. Just, just don't nudge them. Just look straight ahead. Both campuses, just, just pretend they're an angel today. But angry people split churches. How do you think churches end up? They're not multiplying. They're splitting sometimes. Why? Because people want to be doctrinally right. They, they want to attack silly things. Terrible. We, we, we reveal who we are in these matters. And uh, homes are often broken up. Even in ministry homes, Chip Ingram in his book with Dr. Becker Johnson was saying, he said, I went to a conference once with my wife, a pastor's conference. And he said, in the room next door in the evening while we were lying in bed, the pastor and his wife were screaming and shouting at each other. He said, we thought they were practicing for a skit for the next morning at the conference. Turns out there was no skit. As they say in South Africa, nearly skitting each other. But he said, how do you expect blessing on your home and your ministry when this is going on behind closed doors? People need to deal with their anger. I want to encourage you, if you're a Christian parent, not to be screaming and shouting at your children all the time because then you wonder later on why they rebel and they don't want to serve God. We need to get our anger under control, deal with discipline, and manage it correctly. So I'm going to hope to give you 10 things this morning that you can use to deal with your anger. The first few will be longer than the remaining uh, points, but I think you'll be helped. Number one, the first thing we need to do this morning is understand biblical anger. Because it's a God-given emotion that makes you take action. Most times you don't do things until you get angry. So it's an emotion that stirs you to action. God gets angry, but the Bible says he's slow to anger. And uh, he's got a fierce anger, but he's slow to anger. But why does God get angry? Is he going to like a short fuse? No, he is righteous and just. And his anger comes into play when he has been taken beyond the point of righteousness. That's what happens with most of us. When something's unfair, we erupt in anger. Isn't that true? When we treat it unfairly in the shop or on the road or someone steals from us, or we, we, we end up angry. People disrespect us. It, it's, it's that unrighteousness that, that, that stirs our anger, and it's the same with God. But the Bible gives us warnings about how to deal with it. But if we see Jesus, Jesus got angry. He went into church and got angry because of the attitude of people. Look at Mark chapter 3. It says Jesus was angry as he looked around at them, but at the same time he felt sorry for them because they were so stubborn and wrong. Pity we're not like this in the home, eh? Angry but feeling sorry. No, 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 we, the two are separated, eh? We either feel sorry or we're very angry. But then it tells us Jesus was, was, was super angry and he took some action in John chapter two. It says he went into the temple and, and, and it says, so he made a whip from cords and drove all the animals out of the temple, both the sheep and the cattle. He overturned the tables of the money changers and scattered their coins. And he ordered those who sold pigeons, take them out of here. Stop making my father's house a marketplace. Some of you say, amen, Pastor Andre. You should close down the coffee shop. <laughs> Someone wrote a whole article on our coffee shop and resource centers in the newspaper and kind of implied that we hadn't read this verse. Almost like, oh, I've been in the ministry for 36 years. That's the first time I've read that verse. It doesn't mean you shouldn't sell things. You need to know the background. You see, Matthew 21 says this, you've turned it into a hideout for thieves. So when you read all the gospels, you get a picture. Cephas, sorry, Caiaphas, Caiaphas the high priest was in charge of selling, 
all the animals in the temple and charged inflated prices. So you had to come to the temple and offer a sacrifice, but you had to buy his animals. So he had a monopoly and he was really charging the people, the poor people who traveled miles to come there, inflated prices. That's why Jesus did it, because they turned worship into something else. It's not wrong to sell in the church, are you with me? Just educating us all today in case you know, why have we got there in coffee shop and there was curry on sale? By the way, the carry on sale is not to make money, it's to keep you connected with your family so you can enjoy more than just the worship time. Everything we do at Rivers is intentional. It's not money driven, it's people driven. If we were money driven, you'd be sitting on plastic seats. Just a reminder. And there'd be no aircon. There'd be a fan in your seat. Compliments of Rivers. Some people don't think, you know. Seriously, they just don't think. It's like, haven't we read the Bible? Of course we know the scriptures. You know, women are on the platform. Oh, the Bible says women shouldn't teach. No, you need to understand the Bible. So it's very important that we look deeper anyway. Let me not get angry. In Ephesians, it tells us this, because if Jesus and God get angry, how do we manage it? Well, it tells us here, biblically, be ye angry and sin not. Now, you can get cross, but don't swear. Don't slap someone. Don't stab someone. Don't kick someone. Don't insult someone. Don't add mother to every word you call them. In Ephesians 4 and verse 26, in the good news, it says, if you become angry, do not let your anger lead you into sin, and do not stay angry all day. Don't give the devil a chance. Verse 31 says, get rid of all bitterness, passion, and anger. No more shouting or insults. No more hateful feelings of any sort. Instead, in other words, replace that attitude. Be kind and tenderhearted to one another and forgive one another as God has forgiven you through Christ. See, our problem is we make, we make a big mistake when we get angry. And Dr. Les Carter, he describes this in his book, The Anger Trap. He says, there's a trap we fall into, a mistake we make. He says, the most common mistake made by angry people is communicating a right conviction in an insulting fashion. And we mustn't excuse ourselves. We must, must deal with it. Don't say, I'm Italian. You know, we are red-blooded Italian. No, no. You can't excuse your race, your background, your culture. You have to master your emotions or your emotions will master you. How many of you realize in our culture today we're told to express our feelings and to just let it all out? No. We're called by God to master the flesh and to rule the flesh, not indulge the flesh. In James chapter 1 and verse 19, James gives us biblical advice. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Its results are dangerous and even demonic. So we understand biblical anger. Number two, be honest about your anger. Admit it. Often we get angry, but we blame the person who made us angry instead of admitting, hey, I've got a short fuse. I lack self-control. When I ask you this morning, are you an angry person? Because most people don't think so. They think they're quite okay. But many of us have got blind spots. We can even commit crimes, and then when we get confronted, we get angry. The Bible says that David did that. He killed his best friend, Uriah, one of his 30 men. 
who had fought for him and took his wife and covered up the, her pregnancy, committed adultery with her. And Nathan the prophet came to David and had to speak to him. But Nathan couldn't speak to him openly. Sometimes you can't speak to people about their problems openly. They're not open. So he tells him a parable. There was this rich man who had lots of lambs and this poor man who only had one lamb. And the rich man went and he took the only lamb that the poor man had. You know, David, are you getting the point? And look at David's response, because this is how we are. We're not honest. 2 Samuel 12, verse 5. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. And then he gets worse. He says he must pay for that lamb four times over. It's amazing how you can get angry when you should be repentant. I want to tell you, if you're an angry person, don't get angry when people point out your anger. Rather be honest. Gee, is that true? William Penn, way back in 1644, I think he was thinking of David when he wrote this. He said, it is he who is in the wrong who first gets angry. Isn't that the truth? Now, Chip Ingram and Dr. Becker Johnson have written a very good book called Overcoming Emotions That Destroy. And Dr. Dr. Becker Johnson said this, and I want to read this to you, just listen. She spoke about herself and how she had to be honest with herself. She said, one day I decided to keep a mental log of all the times I felt angry. I wanted to know how often I got angry and what I got angry about and what triggered the anger. I encourage you to try this too. The results were surprising and quite humbling. I was shocked at how often angry feelings came to the surface. Prior to consciously counting these episodes, I'd mistakenly assumed that anger was only an occasional visitor to my emotional arsenal. I was very wrong, very wrong. I had to be honest about my feelings of anger, frustration, and actual infuriation, she says. I had felt either flits or fits of anger at not being able to find my favorite socks, running out of milk, the kids are taking too long to get ready, the slow driver in front of me, the long wait at the pharmacy, the store that was closed on Monday, having to put petrol in the car, the price of petrol in the car, and the long line at the slow service when I put petrol in the car, the kids leaving their clothes on the floor again, and the computer freezing on me again. And she says, and I was only halfway through the day. How many would admit to that? We need to be honest so we can move beyond anger and we can ask God to help us Proverbs 14 reminds us, it says people with understanding control their anger. A hot temper shows great foolishness. We need wisdom, church. We need to know about ourselves and we need to say, you know what, this is what triggers me. Unfulfilled expectations, insecurity, rejection. Someone gets in the lift and they see you coming and they just let the doors close. I didn't notice you. Then you finally get on that floor and you feel like looking for them. It's like, where are you? <laughs> we all live in the same city, in the same country. These are things that test us. But we all have triggers. Insecurity. I don't feel good about myself, so when you reject me, I feel even worse. And we've been hurt. Maybe you're carrying wounds. Maybe you're upbringing. You grew up in a home where people screamed and shouted all the time, so you carry that as a habit. It's what you do. It's the way we deal with people. We mustn't be like that, we need wisdom. Maybe you've been deceived, you've been defrauded, maybe you've been robbed, now you're angry. Every time you see a certain looking person, I know it was you. I know, I was tied up in my house. 
for two and a quarter hours. I used to walk down the street like, no, you have to move on. You have to move on. Because what will happen is you will alienate the very people God has called you to reach. Come on. South Africa's got a big problem with this. We, we, we separated into angry camps. And God wants to bring us together in Christ. So we've got to be honest, church. Naomi Campbell said this, the great uh, model, uh, the, the, the famous model. I'd call her the great model. <laughs> Naomi Campbell, the famous and attractive model, she's had anger issues. And she said this. She said, anger is a manifestation of a deeper issue. And that, for me, is based on insecurity, self-esteem, and loneliness. Why did, what triggers us? She says, insecurity, can you believe it? Lovely woman like that. But we need to be honest. Number three, downsize your expectations. Too many times we expect too much. Listen, don't expect so much from your husband or wife. Remember they married you. <laughs> the people on the street, the people in the workplace, the people on the road. The people in shops. Listen, when you go to home affairs or the licensing department, if you don't downsize your expectations, you are going to be angry. And people go at five in the morning, they stand in the queue, I'm gonna get in first, and 12 o'clock, they still haven't, steam, murder. Keep them away from any branches or loose stones. That's why there's nothing there at home affairs. It's just barren, because they know you will, You're to downsize your expectations because the more you expect from people, the more chance you're gonna be of being disappointed. Can I say this? Downsize your expectations about yourself because you will let yourself down every now and again. Number five, for, number four, forgive others. Don't be angry at people all the time. Yeah, but you know what they did. And you feel like if you forgive people, you're letting them off. No, you're letting yourself off. You're letting yourself off. It's gonna end up eating away at you. It's like acid in your body that kills you. And can I say this? An angry Christian is not a nice person. You meet people and they're into end time prophecy and they're into the mark of the beast and the Jezebel and, they, and when you talk to them, it's like, I'm like, oh, please don't talk to anyone who doesn't know Jesus. Please don't tell them that you visited rivers. Because they're angry. Now we need emotion. But if you're angry about everybody and angry at the world, we never reach the world. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And we feel, oh, then I need to do something. No, no, the Bible warns us in Romans 12. It tells us, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. In other words, get out of the way. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay. I tell you what, if God gets hold of someone, oh, he knows how to deal with them. And in South Africa, we have not got a spirit of forgiveness. We've got a spirit of hostility. Why? Because we've got unnatural expectations. And while those expectations are high, we will not forgive each other and we will not be able to move forward. Martin Luther King's wife, Coretta Scott King, said this. She said, revenge and retaliation always perpetuate the cycle of anger, fear, and violence. That's why we're so angry in South Africa. We're perpetuating violence. Why? Because we haven't forgiven. We're holding on to expectations that will never be met. It's time we let go and let God and moved on.
can you say amen? Whether it's a family member, whether it's political, whether it's someone you work with, a brother in Christ, we've got to move on. God doesn't want us to get even with people. Notice what it says in Matthew 18, when there's a real issue, it tells us what to do. If another believer sins against you, go privately and point out their face and leave it because you're angry. If the other person listens and confesses, you have won that person back. You see, what we don't often want to do is win people back. Secretly, we want to get people back. And we need to let go because it damages us. Man, I read about a lady in Boxburg who at the Standard Bank, they, they made her wait several hours. So she took a car and she drove it underneath, inside, right through the glass doors, into the foyer. They, wouldn't, they, they, they took too long to serve her and then they wouldn't let her make a withdrawal. Guess what? That damage to that building and that car is probably much more than she was gonna withdraw. It's better you forgive people. Change banks. Number five. Number five. Deal with other people's anger. You might say today, I'm not an angry person, but I live with an angry person. I work with angry people. I've got angry volunteers around me. That seemed to strike a chord. You see, if you work for angry people or you live with angry people, you also need to know what to do because you're also dealing with anger, even though it's not your own. Am I making sense? It says in Ecclesiastes 10, if a ruler's anger or a boss's anger rises against you, do not leave your post. Calmness can lay great offenses to rest. So don't walk out of your job. I can't believe how many people just walk out of this. I'm not putting up with this. Well, what are you gonna do? I'll be three months employed, but I won't work there. Well, you cut off your nose to spite your face. You're the one in debt. You, are you looking for the job where there's no angry people? You're gonna need to find another planet. Seriously, you're gonna have to learn to deal with it. And calmness is what you need. Listen, here's an answer. If any of you work or live with an angry person, what you need to do when they make you angry is one word, delay. Don't open your mouth. You need to count from one to 10 and slowly, one. Three. <laughs> Seriously, because the more you delay, you see, don't, you don't just up and go, I'm out of this marriage. I'm sick of you kids. I'm walking out of this job. People do stupid stuff. Christians. No, we live with anger. We've got to learn how to deal with it. And if you stay, God can make it work. Joel Osteen, the wonderful preacher from Houston, says every day we have plenty of opportunities to get angry, stressed, offended. Isn't that the truth, church? He says, but what you're doing when you indulge these negative emotions is giving something outside yourself power over your happiness. You can choose not to let little things upset you. Hmm? Got to deal with other people's anger. Number six, this is important. Consider your health. Consider your health. Your health is extremely important. Mark Twain made a comment about anger, and I think it's a powerful comment. He described anger like this. He said, anger is an acid that can do more harm to the vessel in which it is stored than to anything on which it is 
poured. Be good to think about that, eh? Because we always think about, take it out and I'll let you know. No, no, as you're doing that, you're harming yourself. You're harming yourself. I, I read a fascinating story. John Hunter he's a, was a Scottish surgeon, an eminent Scottish surgeon in the 1700s. He was also a scientist, some breakthrough discoveries, and he was the, the physician, took care of King George III. But he suffered from angina, this, this doctor. And he once said, uh, when he realized the, these attacks that, that can, happen, can happen from anger, he said, my life is at the mercy of any scoundrel who chooses to put me in a passion. Now, does anyone makes me wuss? Well, he went into a meeting at St. George's Hospital in London, and he got into a massive argument with the board. He got so angry, he stormed out, slammed the door, went into the next room, sat down and died. You had to be very careful what you do. In fact, an anonymous quote put it like this. Anger is one letter short of danger. The results are worse than the causes. And so we must think about our health. Frederick Buchner, American pastor and author, said this. He said, one of the dead... Of the, seven, sorry, of the seven deadly sins, anger is possibly the most fun. To lick your wounds, to smack your lips over grievances long past, to roll over your tongue the prospect of bitter confrontations still to come, to savor to the last toothsome morsel both the pain you are given and the pain you are giving back in many ways is a feast fit for a king. The chief drawback is that what you are wolfing down is yourself. The skeleton at the feast is you. Next time you blow your top, think about the damage you're doing to yourself. You're eating away at your own life. Number seven, consider your reputation. Is this helping anyone? Consider your reputation. Benjamin Franklin said, whatever is begun in anger ends in shame. I wish I could remember that sometimes. I've been embarrassed many times. Fortunately, I haven't sinned, but when I've been in shops with bad service, I've complained and the person hasn't listened, then I've got more angry. And then someone will walk over to the salespeople and say, hi, Pastor Andre. <laughs> Just glad I didn't swear or was insulting. So you can be angry, but you've got to watch your reputation because you can lose your reputation and you can lose your role modeling because everything you do role models for people. Isn't that true? You can be good at the pulpit, but what are you like in private? One of the authors or journalists for Reader's Digest was asked to go and study the Amish people. They're the people who don't believe in progress. They have organic food. They ride in horse carts. They don't have radios or TVs. By the way, they have no cancer amongst them. Interesting thing, the healthiest people in the world. Anyway, this journalist was asked to study them. So he went to a school and he just studied the school children, spent time on the playground every day. After a week, he said, you know what? This is amazing. Not one of the Amish children shout or scream. Went to the principal, he said, this is incredible. There are no children who shout or scream. And the principal said to him, well, have you ever heard an Amish adult shout or scream? You see, everything you do is watched by your children, and we model. I, I was reading about this Japanese man, Yoshi, Yoshihiko, Yoshihiko, Kato, father of three. He won a shouting competition. 
he shouted so loud that it was 118 decibels. He got $750 reward. They said to him, man, you got a loud voice. Where'd you get it from? He said, shouting at my children. <laughs> Parents, you want angry people? It starts in the home. And once your reputation is destroyed, you can't get it back because Google is instant, permanent, and global. You all remember the ANC counselor from Mandela Bay and Dili Lungisa, who lost his cool and ended up being sentenced to two years in prison because he took a glass jug in their, their, their session of local government and slammed it on the head of DA counselor Reino Kayser. Inflicting massive injuries, he ended up in hospital. Now that man has not only got a bad reputation, he's got a criminal record. Think about your reputation. Think about your health. Think about the people God wants to use you to reach. Am I making sense today? This applies to every one of us. Number eight, here's the key. Reduce your stress. Get some rest. Lighten your load. I'm gonna be taking off an extra day next week. Going down to Durban, Pastor Vilma speaking at Sisters. I've decided to take off an extra day and just rest. Lie at a pool. So ah, nice for you. No, I've been at it constantly. Monday I flew straight down to Cape Town after the weekend, did a, did a wedding, chatted to hundreds of people, then flew straight back into meetings, then went to a board meeting in the evening, then there was a double staff meeting the next day, and then preparation for the service. It's just relentless. You find yourself on the road. I talk to myself, get, get out the way, move out the way. Vilma says, they can't hear you. I said, uh, just leave me. Move out the way in Jesus' name. How many can relate? So what do you do? You've got to think of ways to reduce your stress. Very important. Know when to say no. Know when to stop. Otherwise, you'll be blowing. It's like, it's like steam inside a kettle. It, it can't just keep boiling. It'll have to explode. The lid will fly off. Or you'll lose your handle. Fly off the handle, as they say. Chip Ingram and Dr. Becca Johnson in their book again speak about this, and she, again speaking in her section, she said this, the more pressured, burnt out, overwhelmed, or busy that you become, the more your anger will lie at the foot of your feet, ready to explode at any moment. The key to lessening our anger is our ability to minimize stress. The more stress we're under, the more likely it is that anger will make its appearance. Our goal is to reduce stress. One of the preachers in America that is well-known is a man called John Ortberg, and John Ortberg was about to take on a big church. So he went to a friend who's much more experienced than him called Dallas Willard, and Dallas Willard was asked for advice. He said, Dallas, what would you advise me as I take this big church on? What do you think is the key thing I need to know? You've got many years of experience. Help me as a fellow pastor. What would you say to me? And this is what Dallas Willard said to him. Ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Speed and godliness are incompatible. Just as well I don't have the black beast anymore that I drive. Speed and peace are incompatible. Hurry and loving others is incompatible. Hearing God's voice and hurry are incompatible. And again he repeats, ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. How difficult is that in the modern world? Now, now in Kailami, it's very easy to find a parking spot when you just drive into church. That's why the Kailami campus is so attractive. But when you come onto the Santon campus, and especially as the service ends, like squirrels, Pastor Dev said, you all want to get to that car because you're in a hurry. 
I realize I'm always in a hurry. I go down to Durban. I drive from Durban north to Belito. And I'm on that highway. And then there's a toll road. Guess what I do? I look for the shortest queue. I'm deciding which one. No, almost. Ooh, ah, I've got the shortest one. And then I speed off after I've stopped as if I'm so important and I'm in such a hurry and then I get to the service 45 minutes before the time. Come on now. We've got to be careful that the stress levels in our lives are managed because we will, we will be opposing the will of God for our lives. Number nine, and this one's add on to it, humble yourself. You see, we often become angry because we think we're too important. You're blocking my way. Some people might even say, you idiot. See, that's not humble. That's feeling superior. Hmm? Could it be that we think too much of ourselves? That we shouldn't be wronged or hindered? Hmm? In a supermarket? Come on, come. How much is this? And someone who doesn't have a barcode, and then, then we're like, now we're stuck in that queue, now we're looking. And if you're with your wife, you go there. Then <laughs> she goes there. And then, and then come, then you take your trolley. Then they all look at you like. What a happy place South Africa is. Praise God. Am I helping you today? This is where we all live. Isn't that the truth? This is where we all live. We've got to manage our stress. And we've got to humble ourselves. We're not that important. Hmm? Imagine. But, but you know what? I think sometimes we need to, getting angry with other people is one thing, but getting angry at God. Do you know how many people are angry at God? Surely Joseph should have been angry at God. How could you let my brothers put me in a pit? You give me dreams, you taunt me, then you let them put me in a pit. Then on top of it, you let Potiphar's wife lie. And then I end up in prison and I get forgotten. But you know, Joseph didn't, Joseph was not angry at God because he humbled himself. You know what he said? You are all wise and all knowing. How dare I think I know better than you? Job should have been angry at God. Loses his children. Do you know losing your children has got to be the hardest thing in the world to deal with? But not only that, he loses his health, he loses his wealth, and his wife is angry. Curse God and die. But Job humbled himself. I won't curse God, even though he kills me, I will see him in the flesh. He has a humility because he knows that God is all-knowing. See, church, can I remind you, you can say you've been hurt, but when you are angry at God, you know what it amounts to? It amounts to you think you know better because God knows everything. I only know what hurts me. I only know what affects me. I don't know his ultimate purpose. One day when I get to heaven, I'll see things as they are. You need to humble yourself and recognize that God is right. Number 10, you probably thought I wouldn't get you. But number 10 is extremely important. Number 10, don't take life or yourself so seriously. Man, don't be so intense. And if you are, don't tell them you come here. Seriously, church, you need to laugh at yourself. Just, you know, if you, so how do I do that? Just go look in the mirror. We're funny. 
Watch something funny that's not dirty. Laugh with people. Don't, can I encourage you if you're a Christian, don't always get into deep theological discussions. Ask my staff, they'll tell you when they travel with me. They don't, we don't get into deep. Let me tell you about the book of Revelation. <laughs> I was reading this morning in my quiet time with God and he said to me, Andre. And so I said, Lord, ah, come on, man. Live in the real world, have some fun, have a laugh. Some people are no joy and no fun to be around. I love you with the love of the Lord, but stay away from me. No, because you're too intense. You don't know how to live in, in the real world where laughter is good medicine. Look what it says in Proverbs 17, 22. A cheerful heart is good medicine, but a broken spirit saps a person's strength. The good news says being cheerful keeps you healthy. It is slow death to be gloomy all the time. Angry people are gloomy. Oh, I mean, you, you always know. No, laugh. Have a bit of joy. Be a big person. You need to be a bigger person, bigger than the circumstances. And I tell you what, life will be fun and you'll get past your anger and God can use you to reach people instead of alienate people from you. As we close in Santon this morning, I want to tell you a quick story and then I want us to make a decision together. I want to pray for two groups of people. Are you all still with me? Many of you have got the music of the rapper Jay-Z in your car. His real name is Sean Carter. How many of you have heard of him? And uh, he grew up in Brooklyn, New York, in what's called uh, Marcy houses, like uh, apartment blocks, very poor. You've got a lot of them down in Athla and those blocks of flats where people are crammed in. And he said he grew up very angry young man. His father abandoned him and his three siblings when he was very young. And his mother raised him and he, he grew up with this anger. And in his lyrics and the songs he writes, he talks about it. And way back in 1982, at the age of 12, his, he, he took a gun, at 12 years old, he took a gun and he shot his brother in the shoulder for taking his jewelry out of his drawer in his room. And he said, he realized what he had, after he had done, he realized, man, I nearly killed my brother. And the reason is, at the time, at 12, he was on crack cocaine. And he himself had been shot three times. And having shot his brother, he says this. He says, I vowed never to allow myself to be in a situation like that again. And having realized how anger had caused him to boil over and nearly kill his own brother, he made a decision, I cannot let this thing rule me. Well, he's gone on, he's been pretty successful. As far as I know, he's not a believer. But nonetheless, he's turned his life around and way back in 2013, he was listed among Time's 100 most influential people in the world. Quite a, quite a thing. And today he's worth $900 million. But I thought what he did was extremely good. He found himself in a position where he vowed never to allow himself to be in that position again. Maybe you're in the room and you've allowed anger to damage your family, damage your business relationships, harm the people that are closest to you. I think today we should all make a declaration that we're not gonna let anger rule us. That we're not just gonna listen to this message and move on. We're gonna, in this room today, say, you know what? Never again. In fact, I want you to look at the screen with me this morning. I want us to make this declaration. I will never allow myself, by God's grace, to be in a situation like that 
ever again. You know what that is. You've hit someone, you've slapped your wife, slapped your husband, screamed at your kids, thrown something, sworn at people in the street, neighbors, what relatives, you never talk to them. You, we've got to say, you know what, no more. Because it eats at me, it damages me, and it damages what God wants to do through me. Because everything in life is about relationships. You're either part of the problem or part of the solution. And we don't need more anger in South Africa. We need more love. We hope you have been blessed and inspired by this message.